Hello and welcome to the Meningitis Foundation New Zealand podcast. We aim to provide you with easy to understand information about meningitis and septicemia and the diseases that cause them, pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. Today we have Peter and Helen Rollins in the studio with me. Peter and Helen are originally from the UK, having only moved to New Zealand about, what, two, nearly three years ago. They're dad and mum to two children, Gareth and Sean, and their story is a tough one. They've faced not just one case of meningitis, but two. Gareth died in his sleep in May 2003 as a result of meningitis while at boarding school in the UK. And Sean, at 34 years of age, was diagnosed with meningitis in Tauranga in 2018 and survived. Peter and Helen, thank you so much for joining me today and telling both Gareth and Sean's stories. I really appreciate you being here. Can we start with Gareth? And can you tell me a little bit about the 16-year-old Gareth? Yeah, sure. Um, Gareth was what I call a lad's lad. Uh, At 16 years old, uh, he was into everything. Uh, Sporting-wise, he was a a rugby fanatic, played uh, played rugby for his school, um, had been recently on a three-week tour to South Africa to play rugby down there. Um, was also into cross-country running, uh, had represented uh, Derbyshire at cross-country um, and had just re- returned three weeks prior to his death from a skiing trip in Colorado. Uh, so you can get the picture of this 16-year-old lad who was kind of maturing, uh, was doing in the UK his AS-level uh, examinations prior, a year prior to leaving school. Uh, he had firm thoughts on either joining the military uh, keeping the tradition in the family. And he'd also inquired into a uh, law company about sponsorship uh, through university with them. So he was looking at uh, a lot of avenues. Um, You know, his his upbringing had been uh, through the military. I'd been in the military for 34 years in total. Uh, So both Sean and Gareth were were born into a military family Mm -hmm. uh, over in Germany and had been around a number of schools uh, prior to Gareth uh, making the decision that he wanted to go to a boarding school himself. Uh, we trawled through the UK, about six or seven schools, until he found a school that he wanted to go to, that he felt he fitted into. Uh, and he made that decision, and it was his call of which school he went to, uh, which we kind of supported, uh, and allowed him to kind of blossom and grow with with the school uh, and its traditions and its uh, beliefs. Wonderful. So a very full and active life. Absolutely, yeah. What about his personality? How would you describe him? Um, fun. Um, always a joker. He'd always come up and he'd, because he'd got a, a lot taller than me, um, and he'd come and tap me on the head and say, come on, mum, you little munchkin. And, or he'd, he was just fun-loving, wasn't he? He was a very loving child. He um, just loved his hugs. He'd come up and hug you. And, you know, he'd, I'd be sat down and he'd be sat next to me or practically on me. He was always very tactile, wasn't he? Yeah. He just... Loved company, just he lo- just loved life. And then in May two thousand and three, everything changed. Yeah, absolutely, mm. um, you know, the world fell apart. Is the the, the only way you can describe it. Uh, nobody ever expects to get a phone call um, from the school informing that your son has died. Uh, Helen and I were 
on transit to uh, from Northern Ireland, where we were working at the time, mm-hmm. uh, back to the mainland UK. And we were staying with friends uh, in Harrogate, which was probably about an hour and a half from where the school was located. Um, we had something to drink and something to eat that evening, uh, and Sean was with us for the first time. Sean had actually travelled back with us. Um, and at about two o'clock in the morning, we got a phone call uh, informing us that there was no easy way to inform tell us, but Gareth had tragically died at school. Obviously, at this point, uh, nobody knew the, the cause or the reason why he died. You know, our world fell apart. We jumped into a car as quickly as we could and drove the hour and a half down to the school to be met by the headmaster uh, and the police uh, to inform us that, you know, Gareth had officially been pronounced dead. And the police then escorted us to Chesterfield Hospital. Did they? Did he had had he said anything to you about being sick or feeling unwell? In yeah. The lead up to um, on our way to our friends, um, we were on the, getting the ferry over um, from from Northern Ireland, and we'd phoned him because he'd had um, an exam that day, uh, a sports studies exam. So he was just phoning to let us know how he'd got on, and he thought he'd done okay, and he said he had a bit of a headache. Um, I just said, go to see Matron, go mm-hmm. and get some paracetamol. He, he said, it's her night off. So I said, well, go and see your housemaster. He said, yes, I will. He said, no, oh, when I've got, I've been in the gym. And he said, and I've, I felt like something popped in my eye. He said, it's okay now, I don't feel anything. He said, it's, it's just a funny sensation. So I said, well, go and get your paracetamol and maybe go tomorrow to see Matron. And then that was... The last we heard, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. He said, I'll phone you to see you at the weekend, Mum, because we were going to the school to pick him up for half term. And that was it. So when you got to Chesterfield Hospital, how long was it before they were able to tell you that it was meningococcal or meningitis? They, they didn't know. Um, they couldn't find him at first either. We went to the hospital. The police took us in and we were sat in a reception room. Um, the police said, you stay here, we'll sort it. They went to the reception and they come back and they said, well, they're just trying to find him. They couldn't find him. Because Gareth was already dead when they took him to the hospital, they took Mm -hmm. him straight round to the morgue. So he hadn't come in through the front of the hospital. Mm -hmm. So they had no record of him. So we were there for a good hour before they could find him or knew where he was located. Um, And then they just took us to a room, didn't they, um, for us to see him. Um, but following that, um, it was actually 10 days uh, before they found what the uh, actual cause of death was, mm-hmm. and it was meningococcal septicemia. Um, and during that time, we'd also planned his funeral, uh, made all the arrangements, and then I had to cancel it, so I had to inform everybody who was travelling. Uh, so that was another stress that was uh, burdened onto the family. Was that because they were going back into autopsy? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah they, 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 they asked for more blood tests, didn't they? So And then they couldn't, obviously, release the body until those had been completed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we were uh, a good 10 days um, following his death before we found out uh, the actual cause of death, mm-hmm. which was, uh, you know, it sets the mind racing as to, to what had he died of, why had he died, what's the cause, had we carried any burden into there, had we caused anything, you know, had we passed on to anything to him. So it was, a, it was it's something that plays on the mind all the time. And how were both of you during that time? I'd imagine that time would have stood still for your family. How how did you cope in that period? Um, I 
I went back to work as soon as I could. I needed something to occupy my mind. I, I wanted I wanted my time to be full. I didn't need any time to stand still. I didn't want to think about things. I just wanted to Im embed myself into other activities as much as I could. But without a shadow of a doubt, it causes stresses and strains on a relationship. Not just Helen and myself, but obviously Sean, our parents, uh, and extended family as well. Because it's not as if it's a daily occurrence where, you know, you, you, your child dies. Parents you can accept, you know, and uh, the older generation you can accept, but not somebody who's younger than you, you know, especially your, your children. It was the shock of it as well, though, wasn't it? You know, we didn't have any lead up to it. You know, we hadn't been ill, we didn't know. You know, it was just a shock to get just to get a phone call to say, oh, "I'm sorry, but your son's dead." You know, it was uh, it was that side of it, wasn't it? Yeah. It's the phone call that no parent ever wants yeah, to receive. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Had you ever heard of meningococcal septicemia or meningitis at that stage? Um, definitely heard of meningitis. Um, the only thing we really knew about it uh, was the the tumbler test um, that. Um, the majority of people will hear about, but Gareth showed no signs or symptoms of a rash. Um, once the uh, post-mortem had been done, it was some of the questions that we'd had asked. Um, so our knowledge was minimal, um, as I suspect most people's will be, because it only comes to a light when it impacts you, you know? You, you, it never you happens to you. It, absolutely, yeah. it never happens to you until it happens to you. Yeah. And what about the impact on his schoolmates? Obviously, there would have been a ripple effect of, of concern yeah, through... Um, well, it was the weekend. That weekend was academy day in his school. Um, so all the families were all gathering. There was a, a sports day and they have a, um, a prize-giving day. So that, And then there's a ball in the evening for the leavers. Um well, that got cancelled, and it's the first time ever that they've they've cancelled it because we said don't cancel it, that because there'd been parents had travelled from abroad, you know, Hong Kong and Spain and wherever, wasn't there? Mm. We thought, you know, they've they've paid money to come, don't don't cancel it, don't just carry on, and they said no, we've made the decision, we're going to cancel it. The, the his friends were brilliant, weren't they? They were really good. Um, and they all came, they all did a book of condolence. They all wrote on his door <laughs> to his be in to his uh, bedroom that was just full of messages. Um, all of them had gone up and just wrote their oh, own little thing. message on the door. Um, they all had to have, um, was it like a penicillin antibiotic? Yeah. Um, they were all given that. All those that had been in close contact with him were given that. Mm -hmm. um, and... One of them, um, years later, she wasn't really a good friend of his, but she's really suffered, hasn't she? Um, and a couple of years ago, we had a message off her saying how she was really suffering uh, through Gareth's death, and we put her onto the charity then in the UK for her to try and get some help. Mm -hmm. um, since then, she's done quite a few things for charity in Gareth's name, Um and she so it has impacted a lot of people, but they've and they've all kept in touch, which is really nice, especially for boys. I think, you know, they every year they, there's a bench outside the, the sixth form house, um, and every academy day, 
one of his friends goes down, puts a can of beer and a card. And he normally puts it out on Facebook a couple of days before I'm going to Gareth's bench. Anybody coming with me? And they just turn up. That's a wonderful tribute. Now, you've obviously gone on and done a lot of work with the charity that you mentioned, which is the Meningitis Trust, which is now called Meningitis Now in the UK. Can you tell me a little bit about how you've honoured Gareth's memory through your work with the Trust? Certainly, yeah. Um, we, we're a family that believes if you take something out of a pot, you need to put something back in the pot. And they'd supported us. Um, so we thought it only right that we try and raise funds to enable them to... Uh, continue with their research into the disease and hopefully, you know, put, a, put an end to it. Um, so collectively, we've uh, we've raised over uh, 600,000 uh, New Zealand dollars, the equivalent of, uh, to support them. Uh, that's been over the, the whole time since Gareth's death. Um, we've sent a team to the North Pole um, in a ski race uh, there. Uh, I've personally uh, been involved in rowing the North Atlantic Ocean uh, from New York back to the mainland UK. Uh, that was an 84-day uh, at sea. Um, I've run the um, Endurance Gobi Desert Marathon. Uh, I've attempted to row around the UK and failed. Um, uh, and I've done uh, tough guy events and marathons, half marathons. Uh, Helen's uh, trekked in New Zealand, uh, obviously prior to us uh, arriving here and living here. So in 2008, Helen trekked uh, with the Meningitis Trust tra charity uh, in New Zealand. Uh, and we've had friends and Gareth's friends who've done stuff as well, which has allowed us uh, to achieve that figure in... We've done uh, fashion shows yeah. and raffles and Sean's done skydive. A wonderful tribute for Gareth and keeping his memory alive through all of your work. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, hopefully it just prevents another family having to go what we've been through and what other families have been through because the ultimate aim has got to be to see an end to this disease. Peter and Helen, we've spoken a little bit about the impact on your family throughout the time, but can you tell me a little bit about how it impacted you personally? Yeah, I mean, um, as a dad, you know, I saw one of my roles as to be uh, embracing Helen and Sean. Uh, and making sure they were out of harm's way, you know, protect them from anything. And when I say anything, I'm talking about the media, I'm talking about other people who wanted to inquire. Uh, and it puts a stress and strain on, on the marriage, as I've said. Um, the Meningitis Trust uh, contacted Helen with regards, uh, could they offer some support? And Helen was the first person that needed uh, counselling. So Helen went off for counselling, Sean declined it, and I declined it. Um, as we were gearing up to do the uh, Atlantic Row, I used to have regular contact and go down to the Meningitis Trust office in Stroud um, and deal with uh, a lady called Bridie Taylor. Uh, and she kept asking me, did I need counselling? Did I need counselling on every visit that I'd go down there? Uh, and coming from a military background, I thought I could circumnavigate needing counsel. I thought I was uh, you know, a bloke who didn't need any form of help. And then one day when we were down there, um, I... She asked me the question, did I need counselling? And inside me, I heard myself saying yes. And I stopped myself thinking, why have I said yes? I don't need counselling. Uh, but I did. I went for six counselling sessions. Um, and every time I went there, I felt better. Um, I, I always used the word I felt cleansed. I'd come away having talked to somebody um, that wasn't impacted on family life, somebody independent who could listen to my woes, somebody I could cry in front of and not feel embarrassed. 
Uh, and after the end of the six counselling sessions over a six-week period, um, I felt relieved in the fact that I hadn't got any pent-up anger uh, and I felt a different person. So to anybody who's out there who has gone through this or indeed gone through any type of trauma, um, I would recommend that they accept counselling if it's offered because without a shadow of a doubt, it will help uh, overcoming bereavement. I think it was just, you're both on different levels because everybody grieves differently and sometimes I didn't want to say anything to Pete because I think, oh, he's having a good day. If I say how I'm feeling, then that's going to bring him down. And I think I bottled a lot of mine, um, trying to be strong for everybody. But I think we were all trying to be strong for each other. And then I think it was a year later, after both of us, Sean decided to go. I think she thought, well, mum and dad are okay now. They're on, on the road to recovery, but I need to go. So she went. My sister did. Um, Her close friends and family yeah. went. So it wasn't just relations. It was very close friends who needed counselling as well. So that impact is a yeah. lot wider. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like the ripple, ripple effect. Yeah. yeah. Now, it is a vaccine-preventable disease. Were you aware at any stage in your life that there were vaccines available for meningococcal disease? No. No, not, no. not, not, not at the time. As I say, we were pretty ignorant to the disease and um, the impacts it could have on people. Um, obviously now, you know, we would encourage anybody to uh, to get the, the vaccine as soon as possible, especially for uh, the younger children. Mm-hmm. And also for, for children that are going into boarding schools, yeah. universities, share houses and accommodation, there's quite a high risk when it comes to that late adolescent, early 20s period. Absolutely. And I think perception out there is that it affects toddlers predominantly. But as you've just said, it's, you know, adolescents. And indeed, we've met a number of people um, in older age of life. You know, there was a lady I met in Scotland who'd had the disease three times. Um, So, you know, it can impact anybody at any time, anywhere. It really is, you know, covering all spectrums. And that needs to be taken into consideration as well. Yep. Now, your family is quite unique. You would have thought that you had put all of this behind you, moving to New Zealand, and and that one impact of meningitis within a family is enough for anyone to cope with. But you faced it twice. Can you tell me a little bit about Sean's story? It was two years, well, two years, just over two years ago. I'd, I hadn't been in the country long, and I was living with Sean and the boys, She'd said she wasn't feeling too well the evening before. She thought she was coming down with a cold, flu. She got. I got up next morning. She was just lying on the sofa. She said, "Oh, I've, I've, uh, I feel terrible, Mum. I've rearranged all my clients. She's a hairdresser. Um, she's got a business. So she said, I've rearranged. I've told all the girls I'm not going to be in for a couple of days. So I said, Well, okay, you just lie there. I'll sort the boys out. Get them to kindy. Give them a breakfast." I came back, she was still lying there, so I said, you still know better? I said, phone the doctors, so she said, I just have, I've got an appointment later. So I said, okay, I'll go and phone your dad. So I was speaking to Pete, and the next thing she comes in, Mum, I need to go to the doctors now, but I don't think I can drive. And I just took one look at her, and I I said to Pete, I've got to go. She's not well, I'll I'll phone you, let you know how how she is. Didn't suspect a thing, because... To be honest, I hadn't really 
took a good look at her. She just said she felt ill and that was it. Um, got her in the car, had to guide her to the car. She had her sunnies on, she had a hoodie on. She pulled the hoodie over her eyes because she said that the light was hurting. So put her in the car um, on the way to the doctor's. Can you move your neck? Can you move your head? Can you put your chin on your chest? No, mum, it's a bit bit stiff. Okay. Where's the headache? And she said, it's all around my head, right the way around, starting from the back all the way. I said, okay. I said, well, we're nearly there now. And I, straight away, I thought, this is meningitis. Even though I hadn't seen anything with Gareth, I just knew. Um, got to the doctor's, they took us straight in, put us in a little room. She said, I'll get the doctor to you. She said, you're not waiting in the reception. Doctor came, examined her, said, uh, I think you may need to go for some blood tests, go to the hospital and maybe need a lumbar puncture. So I just said, you, you think it's meningitis, don't you? He just said, well, yes, it could be. Do you need me to tell you about it? I said, well, no, I don't I don't need you to tell me about it. Her, her brother died of it. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. He said, I, I've, I remember seeing Sean's notes. He said, will you be okay to take her? I said, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. <laughs> So he said, right, don't wait for me to write my notes. He said, just go now. I'll I'll email it all through for you. So got to the hospital, straight away sat down and they said, is it Sean? Yes, come through. Took her through. And with being in the hospital, within 20 minutes, she'd had umpteen bloods taken. She'd had a lumbar puncture as well. Um, and then... She was take, had to lie still, obviously, for a good couple of hours after that. She was in a darkened room because she couldn't bear any light whatsoever. And then they took her up to her own room and it was with 24 hours later, wasn't it? They said, oh, it's, it's viral meningitis. And, they, they, and the doctor just said, you know, if this is if there's one type to get, this is the type to get, she says, because it's not life-threatening. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And that was it. I just had to phone you and because Pete was in the UK. And how how did you feel hearing the news? Well, just the single word meningitis. Um, you know, having been impacted already uh, by the disease, to hear it again, you know, with, with our daughter was, uh, it was just terrible. Uh, I said, right, I'm on a plane. Um, but Helen stopped me. She said, no, let's see where this leads prior to you coming all the way back here. Because, you know, it's a 24, 36 hours journey, uh, door to door. Um, and I was phoning Helen every four hours for updates. Um, and obviously, Sean made a recovery, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, it, it was really concerning just to hear that one word again. Mm. And how is Sean now? She's fine. She she still gets headaches. Um, bit of memory loss. She, she slurs, she yeah. She tired. Ty- when she's very tired, she slurs. So if you didn't know her and you, and it was late at night, you think she was <laughs> had a few to drink. But she she, it's just tiredness brings it on, and she just slurs her words. <laughs> That's got better. Um, the headaches just wipe her out when she has them. She just needs to go to bed for a few hours because it just completely knocks her, doesn't it? Absolutely, and we understand it's a you know it's going to be a drawn out process. And it may never uh, resolve itself, but uh, you know, with family, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> she's here with us, and with family support, you know, she'll be she'll be as good as gold. 
Now, Sean's also done some fundraising activities and awareness raising activities for the Meningitis Foundation New Zealand. Can you talk about the the motivation that she had to do that so quickly after having her own battle with meningitis? She, well, Sean's like us. She, she's paying back um, for the support we've had and she just wants to raise awareness. And especially now, because it's happened twice, um, and she'll just, she talks to her clients and everybody about gas and um, she just wants to get the word out there. So every year she has a raffle within at Christmas in work. This year she did a pamper day, um, and which, which was really successful. So we've decided it's going to be an annual event. And just any little thing, really, she does, isn't it? She just wants to... Yeah, raising awareness, I think, is, uh, you know, one of her main aims out there, as well as, you know, funds for the charity. But the more awareness that can be raised out there, the more people that know about this disease and, and what it can do and how it can be prevented, uh, you know, I think that's one of her main focuses. And the two of you are also wanting to do more in New Zealand as well. Can you tell me a little bit about how you're planning on going about doing that? Absolutely. Well, we supported uh, the Meningitis Trust uh, and Meningitis Now in the UK. Uh, and obviously our affiliation is to a charity with uh, any relationship to meningitis. So as much as we can offer our support, our assistance, uh, fundraising, raising awareness, doing anything that we can that informs other people of the disease has got to be our, our main focus you know, for the rest of our time here in New Zealand. And knowing what you know about meningitis and meningococcal disease, what words of advice would you give to other families, other parents? Um, I'd definitely say if you suspect it, don't take no for an answer. Go to the hospital, go to your doctor, get it diagnosed as quickly as possible. Um, you know, time is of the essence, as we're all well aware. Uh, and I'd say don't take no for an answer. Keep pushing, keep pushing until it's confirmed that it isn't or indeed that it is. And vaccinate if, uh, you know, if possible. You know, I know funds are tight in fam with families, but it really is a, a, you know, it's a good investment in your children to get them vaccinated. Is vaccination something that you've spoken at length about, is, particularly in New Zealand, knowing the situation that the meningococcal vaccines aren't funded or readily available to everyone without them having to pay for them? It is. I was, I was part of the uh, Meningitis Now uh, campaign in the UK where we uh, lobbied at... Uh, Parliament uh, to get it introduced for uh, toddlers and it, and it was successful. Uh, the ultimate aim would obviously be to have something similar here in uh, New Zealand and if that could be achieved that's a fantastic tick in the box. Um, but again yeah the, the fact that the vaccine isn't ready available there's got to be a cause of concern for parents and I understand that there are other causes out there that need vaccinations uh, you know and as, as I've previously said I understand that families uh, you know, have to tighten their belts and money isn't readily available. So if the government could do anything to assist, even at the lower age initially or indeed university age, where there is high risk um, of the disease, you know, that would be really great. Peter and Helen, thank you so much for being here today and sharing Gareth and Sean's stories with us and your own. It, it certainly has been a unique experience for you and... It is, it's amazing to actually hear you speak and know that you've got so much passion to share with regard to education and awareness for meningitis. Thank you. 
Pleasure. This is part of a series of podcast episodes by the Meningitis Foundation, Aotearoa, New Zealand, to raise awareness of meningitis, septicemia, pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. For more information, you can go to our website at www.meningitis.org.nz or our Facebook page. If you type in the Meningitis Foundation, you should be able to find us without too many problems. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode. Bye for now.